What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to yet another episode of the Electric Factory Podcast. It is February 22nd, 2024, and it is great to have you guys listening to this Thursday edition of the podcast. Um, Not too much going on in the sports world right now, as I kind of alluded to in our last episode. We're kind of reaching a little bit of a dead zone when it comes to stuff like postseason play, um, things that are a little more exciting, but the sports world never stops, so we still have plenty of stuff to talk about, and we are going to cover everything going on in the sports world right here in this episode. Um, The first thing that I want to kind of start off and get into in this episode is the NBA All-Star Game from last weekend and the disaster that was the NBA All-Star Game. Um, We saw the highest scoring NBA All-Star Game of all time, 211 to 197, I believe, was the final score. Um, No defense was played. No effort was really even made on the offensive end, despite all the points being scored. Um, There were full-court shots being chucked up. I saw Luka threw up a full-court shot. Um, Dunks, you know, it, it, it was just a disaster for the NBA and the optics of what the NBA is. Um, And even Adam Silver was not happy about it. You could see it pretty clearly in his post-game trophy presentation. He wasn't happy with the product of the game, especially considering that he'd been kind of harping for the past couple of years that the All-Star game needs to be more competitive. He's tried to find a solution. He went back to East First West this year, and nothing has worked. And I think this is part of a larger issue for the NBA and their their viewership share. Um, me personally, I'm not a huge NBA guy. I'll tune in um, every once in a while, maybe in the playoffs, maybe the finals. But really, I I don't have much interest in watching the NBA. And I feel like I talk to a lot of people, and they feel the exact same way because they feel like there's no effort in the NBA, especially in the regular season. The playoffs it ramps up a little bit, but in the NBA regular season. There's no defense being played. That's how a lot of people feel. That's how a lot of people feel about the product of the current NBA. And when you come to your all-star game and you're on this national stage and everyone's watching and all your best players are there, and it's just a microcosm of what a lot of people feel that your league is, even if that's not necessarily the case about the regular season game, that's how the public perception is. And then they watch this game and they see that. That's not going to make them want to tune in to the NBA regular season, if they already feel like there's no effort being given, and then you watch the the All-Star game, and the best players, supposedly the best players in the league, are just sandbagging it out there. I mean, that's that's not a good look for the NBA, and I think that's it's becoming a growing issue. Um, a lot of people that I talk to on a regular basis don't watch the NBA, don't really have much interest in the NBA. Um, and the NBA, it's still a fairly strong league, but the viewership has been going down. They were outviewed by the MLB, I believe. The finals was outviewed by the World Series um, for the past couple of years, and the MLB is a league that's generally, in in the public eye, considered a dying league, and yet here's the NBA, and they can't get the viewership that the MLB is even getting, let alone the NFL. Um, So I think that the All-Star game needs to be fixed because 
if you're going to put it out there, you either need to get rid of the All-Star game altogether or if you're going to put out a product like that and you're going to try and draw in viewers that wouldn't normally watch the NBA, it's got to be better than that because all you're doing is expunging on the issues that you already have in the public eye. Um, And I kind of want to... I'm not going to come out here and just complain and complain and complain and not give you guys um, what I think the solutions are. And I've seen this solution floating around a lot and I agree with it. I've always been a huge proponent of this. I think that the only way really in modern sports to have a competitive all-star game is to put home field advantage on the line in the championship. Um, baseball had it for a very long time. They just recently got rid of it, a decision that I did not agree with. Um, but that's how you get guys playing. It That's the bottom line. Um, MLB had, it still does, um, to a lesser extent now, but for the entire existence, have had the best All-Star game, the best All-Star game weekend of any of the four major sports, and it's not particularly close. Um, and that's because the guys came out and wanted to play. You had low-scoring games, pitchers' duels. All-Star games would be 4-3, to 3-2, three, three to two, because these guys would come out, and if your team has a chance, you're halfway through the season, you're looking in the standings, you're in the playoff picture, you've got a chance to make it to the World Series. That home field advantage is everything. So, of course, you're going to go out, and you're going to give it your all in the All-Star game, and we saw that. We've, saw, we've seen some instant classic all-star games in the history of the MLB unlike really any other sport like the Pro Bowl or the NBA all-star game or even the NHL all-star game which has done a complete 180 in formats as well in an attempt to get the um, competitiveness of the game up but I think that's really the only solution to the all-star game I think you have to you have to put something on the line to incentivize these guys to play um Money's not going to work. We saw that kind of in the in-season tournament um, when you ended up having the Pacers and the Lakers make it. Those aren't the two best teams in the league um, making it to the championship of the in-season tournament. The money incentive, incentive did not work. Um, I think you need to put something really valuable on the line, and championships are what these guys care about. That's the bottom line. They play for championships, and if you're going to give them an opportunity to better their chances of winning a championship, that's how they're going to play harder. So NBA has a lot of things to address in regards to their all-star game, in regard to their product in general, in regards to the perception of their product. And I think as far as the all-star game goes, the solution is to put home court advantage on the line. Um, I think that's about all we have in the NBA right now. Moving on, um, I'm going to touch a little bit on baseball for the first time in the 2024 calendar year. We're going to talk about real baseball. Real baseball is actually happening. Pitchers and catchers and all players now at this point have reported to spring training. You hear the pop of the glove, the crack of the bat. Um, It really is a great time of year. Um, Excitement is building towards opening day. We are just about a month away and it's going to be a great season, but there are still a good amount of quality free agents left on the board. And I, what I kind of want to do here is give my predictions for where these remaining free agents are going to go and kind of give you guys the reasoning why and how they'd fit into the puzzle. Cause it's really shocking that some of these guys who are really high quality guys are still left. Um, the first guy that I want to talk about is the defending NL Cy Young Award winner, and that's Blake Snell. Um, 
Blake Snell won the Cy Young last year in a somewhat controversial season. He had a great season. However, he didn't pitch that many innings. And they still gave him the Cy Young. And now he's sitting here on February 22nd. Spring training's already started, and he is without a home. So where do I think he's going to go? I like Blake Snell to go to the San Francisco Giants. He's going to stay in the state of California and go and play in the Bay Area. Um, And why is this a fit? Well, first of all, why would he leave San Diego? I don't necessarily think San Diego has shown much interest in bringing him back. And I think the reason for that really is kind of a fear from the Padres. Like, Last offseason, they went out and spent all the money. They built this so-called super team, um, signed Xander Bogarts. You still had Yu Darvish. You still had Tatis, Machado, all these guys. Um, their payroll was just absurdly high, and expectations were absurdly high for a team that had reached the NLCS in the 2022 season, and they severely underperformed. Um, they did not make the playoffs. And I think that they're a little hesitant to go out and spend more money to try and just build another super team or keep that super team together because it didn't work. Um, so regardless of how good Snell is, I think they're a little hesitant to dish out the money right now. And why the Giants? The Giants are a team that has been looking to spend money. They were in on the Aaron Judge sweepstakes. They were in on Otani. They want to spend the money, and they just can't catch a break, really. They can't get anyone to come and play for the Giants. So I think this late in the season, they're going to be willing. They're a team that was right there. They had a decent season last year. They were in the playoff mix for most of the year. They've been in the playoff mix for the better part of a decade now. Um, They're just a really consistent team, and they are kind of just a pitcher away when you think about their rotation. They have Logan Webb, who finished, I believe, in the top three of Cy Young voting last year. He's excellent, one of my favorite pitchers in the MLB because he goes to work every day, goes to the post every five days, and it's going to give you seven solid innings. Led the league in inning pitch last year, which is a severely underrated aspect of a pitcher. So if you partner Blake Snell up with Logan Webb, I think that's going to be a very solid rotation for the Giants in a division that's not necessarily... It it's a strong division um, with the Dodgers, obviously, the Juggernauts, um, Arizona, the defending nationally champions um colorado's no good and we'll see what's happening in san diego but um in the expanded playoffs with three wildcard teams the giants can definitely sneak in and we saw them go toe-to-toe with the dodgers two years ago they actually took the division from the dodgers it was the first time the dodgers hadn't won the division since i believe the 2013 or 14 season so we've seen the giants be able to go toe-to-toe with these teams they have a really solid roster and i think blake snell would fit right in to create that one-two punch with Logan Webb because they still do need some top-of-the-line top starters. Their number two right now, I believe, is Alex Cobb, who I think fits better into more of a number three role. So I think Blake Snell to San Francisco on something like a two-year, $60 million deal, 30 AAV. Um, I don't think anyone wants to commit anything long-term to Blake Snell because, like we've said, he hasn't proven that he can necessarily pitch deep into games the second free agent that i want to talk about is the 2019 national league mvp cody bellinger um cody bellinger had a resurgence last year in chicago 
after a couple of down years in L.A., and he had a phenomenal season, um, a three oh seven batting average. He had 97 RBIs, an 881 OPS for an OPS of one, plus of 133, um, 33% better than the league average. So he was a very productive player last year after back-to-back sub-100 OPS years with the Dodgers. Um, and he's still without a team, and I'm a huge Cody Bellinger fan. I think swinging from the left side with the production that he has is just something that you don't see um, in the MLB. And the ability to hit for average 307 last year, um, 305 in his MVP season. When he's right, he is one of the best players in the MLB. And I think Cody Bellinger is going to go back to the Cubs. That's that's kind of the gut feeling that I have right now. Um he was rumored to the Yankees a lot early in the offseason. I don't think that's going to happen anymore. They traded for Juan Soto. They've got Aaron Judge. They've kind of got a clog in the outfield. They don't really need Cody Bellinger anymore. Um, and I think the Cubs do. The Cubs were right in the mix last year, right down to the wire. They had a horrendous end of the season. They lost seven of their eight last games, I believe, to lose out on the division to the, the, uh, the Brewers last year. So... They they need Bellinger back in that lineup because they are right there. They hired Craig Council, who is arguably the best manager in baseball, and they have a really solid team. Um, I really like what they're doing with their pitching rotation. Justin Steele is coming on as a young stud. He was the runner-up for the Cy Young last year. Um, they still have Kyle Hendricks, who is a solid, solid pitcher. And Shota Imanaga, they signed from Japan this offseason. Really excited to see him pitch. And then on the offensive side, they're ready to compete right now. They've spent the money. They have Dancy Swanson. They have Nico Horner, which is a really solid punch up the middle. Ian Happ is still there. Seiya Suzuki. A lot of solid hitters in that lineup, but they need someone that's going to knock all these guys in. These guys are all, for the most part, on base contact. Swing for a little bit of power, but they need someone like Cody Bellinger who can bat in that three-hole and drive in 97 runs like he did last year. Um, this Cubs team is ready to compete in a relatively weak NL Central. Um, the Reds, young team, the Brewers lost their manager, lost Corbin Burns. Looks like they're kind of headed for a rebuild. The Pirates, another young team, and the Cardinals, kind of a mixed bag. You don't know what you're going to get from them after their disaster of a season last year. So the NL Central is ripe for the taking, and I think the Cubs would be very smart to go out and re-sign Cody Bellinger. Um and try and find their way into the playoffs. And the final guy that I want to talk about is 2023 World Series champion Jordan Montgomery. And Jordan Montgomery is another one of those guys that I'm a huge fan of. Similar to Logan Webb, he goes out every five days and just posts some innings. And that is, like I said before, a huge asset for starting pitchers. Um, And kind of like Cody Bellinger, I think Jordan Montgomery is going to go back to the, the Texas Rangers. The Rangers, defending World Series champion, they are right there, um, obviously ready to compete. They just competed and won the World Series last year, and their rotation is going to be very good next year. They've got Jacob deGrom coming back. They've got Nathan Eovaldi um, and Scherzer. And while Scherzer and deGrom aren't going to be able to start the season, they will be in that rotation probably, I think they said, around June or July. So... If you get if you can just stay afloat, 
they need Jordan Montgomery. If you can stay afloat with Evaldi and Montgomery for the first half of the year, keep yourself in the mix, you get Scherzer and DeGrom back. That is an insane one through four pitching rotation. And that's that's what it takes to win in October. Pitching wins championships. And if you can go into October running out, Evaldi in game one, Scherzer in game two, DeGrom in game three, Montgomery in game four, it's going to be really hard to beat a team like that. Because even if you lose one of those games, you're still up 3-1, to one, and then a team's got to beat at least two of those pitchers twice to win that series. So Texas should go out and, and re-sign Jordan Montgomery. Other teams that he fits with, um, I've seen rumored a possible reunion with the Yankees. The Yankees always need pitching. I've been saying that for years. Um, the Yankees are a team that went out and signed Carlos Rodon last year. Didn't really work out. Maybe he'll bounce back next year. Um, they went out and got Marcus Stroman this year. So the Yankees can always use more pitching, regardless of how stacked their rotation may look right now. Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez, Rodon, Stroman. You never know what you're going to get from the Yankees. So they can always use more pitching. I've seen that rumored. But I think the best fit for Montgomery, from his perspective and from the team's perspective, is Texas because they they really do need another arm to kind of stay afloat to start the year because right now they have Evaldi and they've got a bunch of middle middle of the road guys so if they could go out and get Montgomery I would say that exponentially increases their chance of repeating as World Series champions so that's about all I've got as far as those are the big three free agents still left um obviously I'm assuming they're going to sign before the season starts it's very rare you see players hold out into the season um so look out for that in the next coming weeks because you know guys don't really want to miss spring training um so look out in the next couple of days i bet a couple if not all of these guys find homes within the next week probably before march 1 um what i want to wrap up this this episode with is talking about NCAA basketball. We're getting closer and closer to March Madness, and that is the the best time of the year. I mean, when you get into March, you hear that that CBS song, um, Selection Sunday, filling out your bracket. It doesn't get much better than that. And I kind of want to give you guys who my final four teams would be at the moment. Um... This is obviously strictly conjecture. Um, the bracket's not even out yet, but I kind of just want to run through what I've seen from these teams and who I like to make the Final Four. Um, number one, obviously, it's going to be UConn. I know they just lost to Creighton the other night, got blown out at Creighton, but that doesn't really shake me on UConn. Um, I've been a huge UConn fan since last season. I picked them to win my bracket last year. They did it, and I just think they have what it takes to win long-term into March. They can string together the four or five straight wins that it takes to win March Madness. They're built all around. They're solid. They have really good rebounding um, and just a really solid team all around, and rebounding is huge in March Madness. I think that's a stat that goes overlooked a lot. If you look at it, the team that rebounds better most often um wins the game so i think uconn very strong team they're number one in the country for a reason not really a hot take but i would pick uconn to make the final four today 
Um, the second team that I like to make the Final Four, a, another highly ranked team. I'm going with Arizona. I think Arizona, on the back of Caleb Love, I'm going to... I'm a huge Caleb Love fan um, ever since his days at North Carolina. And I just think that veteran experience, um, already having a Final Four run in him, is going to be very valuable for the Wildcats by the time they get into March. Um, he's the kind of guy that can just get hot and put a team on his back. We saw him do it against Duke in Coach K's final game. He hit that huge shot. Um, I think Arizona is a very strong team. If you look at all of their games, all their losses this year, which are very few, they've lost close. Um, they went to Purdue, um, took them down to the wire, ended up losing by six. They lost to FAU at a neutral site by one in overtime, um, at Oregon State on the road by three, and at Washington State on the road by three. Their only really bad loss was at Stanford. They lost by 15 points, but... I think that's that's another big thing is teams that don't get blown out because teams that get blown out it's, it shows that they're prone to having off nights regularly and um, Arizona's not that kind of team they don't have off days even when they lose they play tough they play close and I like Arizona to also make the final four. Another team, my third final four team, is going to be. And this one, a little bit of a shocker, Seton Hall. Seton Hall right now, um, according to Joe Lenardi's bracketology, is projected to be one of the last four in. And I'm a big believer that one team always kind of makes a shocking run to the final four. And this year for me, I'm picking the 11 seed, current 11, projected 11 seed, Seton Hall. I really like Shaheen Holloway. Um, obviously he made that run with St. Peter's a couple years ago and Seton Hall, a lot of people have kind of cooled down on them cause they went on a losing streak. They lost to Creighton in triple overtime by three Providence by four and Marquette. They got blown out at Marquette by almost 20, but the big East is a tough conference. It's really tough to go to work every single game. You're going to be playing a quality opponent. So these losses don't really scare me. They have a lot of quality wins. They did beat Marquette. Also, they beat UConn by 15 points, um, and they have a win against Providence. So they really, all the teams that they lost to, they've also beaten. Um, besides Creighton, that game coming up on February 28th, they'll have a chance to avenge that loss. So Seton Hall, I don't know what it is. It's just kind of a gut feeling for me. I like what I've seen out of them. Um, and I'm going to take Seton Hall to go to the Final Four. And wrapping up this little fun exercise to end the episode, my last Final Four team is going to be the Baylor Bears. Um, Baylor won the national championship in 2020. I feel like the Big 12 always has to have a team in the Final Four. It's very rare that they don't. Very strong conference. Um, everyone's high on Kansas. Everyone's high on Houston. Even really everyone's high on Iowa State. And I'm very high on Iowa State. And I considered taking Iowa State to make my Final Four, but I think Baylor is the best team in the Big 12. They did lose the other night at BYU, but Scott Drew is just an excellent coach, and I think, like I said, experience matters when you get to March. They have a lot of quality wins on their schedule. Um, number 25, Oklahoma, they beat. They just beat Iowa State, um, a team that I really like, 
and they've beaten BYU. They, um, the one shocking loss for them was kind of that loss to Michigan State, the game that was played at uh, Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. They did not come out to play that game, but that's early in the season. Um, I think Baylor might be the best team in the Big 12. We'll see how they finish up this season. They have a huge game coming up against Houston this Saturday. Um, we'll see how they look there, but I like Baylor to make a run to the Final Four. So currently, that's my Final Four. Obviously, all subject to change. We'll see what the bracket looks like when it comes out. But UConn, Arizona, Baylor, and Seton Hall, as of right now, a fun little exercise um, to see what it could possibly look like going into March. So I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Um, Like I said, unfortunately, we are kind of in a dead period for sports. Not much action, not much playoff games to talk about, but we're getting there. We're getting to March Madness. We're getting to NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs, start of the MLB season. Um, We'll be there in no time. Major championship golf. All of it is um, coming up, so stay right here with the Electric Factory podcast, and we'll be covering it all. So uh, thank you guys for listening, as always, and we'll see you next week with another episode.